0: Uh, Let's pray together. Father, we again just echo in our prayer now what we've just sung to you, that you would speak as we come to your word. Renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us, all those plans that are in Christ and summed up in him. Speak, Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Well, please do a Bible open there at those closing words of the book of Ecclesiastes as we finish off the series this morning. I don't know if you're the kind of person who buys a lot of books. I certainly am. And if you're looking to buy a new book, a very good thing to do before you actually part with your money is to go onto a website like Amazon or something like that and read some of the reviews that that book has received. And when you look at the reviews, you might find out that everybody is giving this particular book five stars because it is such a compelling page turner. And so you decide, of course, then that you're going to buy that book as well, because it is obviously worth your time and your money uh, to get that book and then to read it. Or it could be the case, of course, that you see that all the reviewers are just giving the book one star uh, because it's so dull. It's just so boring, and therefore you steer well clear of it. Well, we come to the end of a book this morning, the book of Ecclesiastes, and in these final words, the author of the book himself, the teacher, uh, provides us with his own review of his book. I notice that he starts referring to himself in the third person. Uh, For most of the book, he has been writing in the first person. I did this, and I saw that, and so forth. But now he adopts the third person as he writes. He just refers to himself as the preacher or the teacher, depending on how it's translated in your version. And you see what he's doing by stepping into the third person is he's, as it were, stepping back from his work in order to try and look at it and review it. What does he make of this book that he has written? What kind of book is it? What's his review and why, therefore, is it worth our time to read and study this book as we have done? And we'll see that in verses 9 to 12, that he gives himself a five-star review. Now Maybe that sounds a little bit arrogant at first, but I'm sure you'd agree that this book deserves such a high rating. Let's see this five-star review uh, this morning here's the the first star if you like uh, the first star is this that it's authentically human this book is authentically human and what i mean by that is that this book was written by a real person grappling with all of the realities of real life so it wasn't a, a book that was written in an ivory tower, so to speak, by some kind of detached philosopher who didn't really know what real life is like out in the real world. And nor did this book just land from the heavens in the lap of this teacher, ready for him to just publish it straight away. And nor did God dictate the words of this book to the teacher, that God just kind of said it word for word, and the teacher just had to sit there and just write it all out. Sometimes that's what people think, that as Christians we believe about the Bible, but of course that's not true at all. Now this, you see, is an authentically human book. It's a book that was written by a real person, and this person was grappling with all the realities of real life. So look at what he says there in verse 9, besides being wise. So he, he starts off by saying that he was in a position to write this book because he himself was someone who had learned wisdom. He was a wise man. And if we take it that the teacher is in fact Solomon, which is probably the case, uh, scripture tells us just how wise he was so First Corinthians, sorry, First Kings chapter four says that Solomon spoke three thousand Proverbs, and his songs were one thousand and five. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. And being wise himself, the teacher didn't just keep that wisdom to himself. No, he passed it on so that many others could benefit from it. He says, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. And the rest of verse 9 tells us how hard he worked at this, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. He see, he worked really hard at writing this book. He did a huge amount of research. He did a huge amount of thinking. He really grappled with the reality of what life is like here on earth in this fallen creation, what it's like to live under the sun. What is real life really like? And I hope you've had a sense of that as we've worked our way through this book, that it it strikes a chord with us, doesn't it? Because it reflects our own human experience of real life. You've listened to this book and you've been able to say, yes, that is what life is like. He's talking about the human condition as I experience it today, As well. And the teacher looked at life from every possible angle, didn't he? He was like a scientist uh, testing every possible hypothesis. And then, when his research was done, he he put the book together with such meticulous care, like an, an artist crafting a masterpiece. The way that he explored all these different matters of pleasure and Wisdom and work and time and eternity and wealth and vanity and death. He weighed these things. He studied them. He arranged his material. He put it together with great care. It was a labor of love for this man to write Ecclesiastes. And for that it gets its first star. This book is authentically human. It's written by a real person grappling with real life. And more than that, this book is also beautiful and true. That's the second star in this review. This book is beautiful and true. That's the point in verse 10, isn't it? Ecclesiastes, it doesn't read like an academic research paper. Even though, as we've just seen, a great deal of research went into it. That is, it's not a book that is factually true and yet at the same time boring to read. Now, the teacher made sure that he wrote the book in such a way as to make it beautiful for someone to read and someone to listen to. He says the, the preacher sought to find words of delight. As he was writing this book, you can imagine him sitting there at his writing desk, and from time to time he pauses and he, he looks up and he ponders how should he put this next verse? How should he convey that particular truth in a way that is pleasing to the ear? What turn of phrase is going to capture the attention of his readers? What vivid picture can he use to illuminate the mind and to thrill the heart? And again, we've enjoyed the fruit of his labors as we've listened to this beautiful, delightful book, haven't we? Think of... The the ebbing and flowing poetry of chapter three for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. I remember also the beautifully poetic description of dying that we looked at in the passage we were studying last week. He says, man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. Now, there are other examples we could give, but the point is that Ecclesiastes is beautifully written. It's written in such a way that it's a delight to us as we read it. There was an American author in the early 20th century by the name of Thomas Wolfe. Maybe you've heard of him. Uh, He was an excellent novelist himself, a, a beautiful writer. And he wrote these words about the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, of all I have ever seen or learned, that book seems to me the noblest, the wisest, and the most powerful expression of man's life upon this earth. And also, the highest flower of poetry, eloquence, and truth. I'm not given to dogmatic judgments in the matter of literary creation. But if I had to make one, I could say that Ecclesiastes is the greatest single piece of writing I have ever known. And the wisdom expressed in it, the most lasting and profound. And it's not just that this book is beautifully written, as well as that, it's all true. It's all true. Now, the other day, I I finished reading a book called Beowulf. I'm sure that some of you have heard of it. It's an epic poem. It's over 3,000 lines long. And it's considered to be one of the finest pieces of poetry ever written in the English language. And so I, I thought I'd give it a try. And yes, it was beautiful to read. I enjoyed it a great deal. But you see, none of it was true. If you've read it, you'll know that it's all about slaying dragons and and this kind of thing. It was a delight to read, for sure, but it wasn't true. And you see, the the teacher didn't just look for words that were delightful. He wasn't just interested in giving us a good read. As well as that, he wrote uprightly these words of truth. And again, you've sensed the truth of this book, as we've listened to it, haven't you? It, it has the ring of truth to it. it. It is a true reflection of what life is indeed like under the sun. Uh, the teacher doesn't pull any punches, he doesn't sugarcoat things, he doesn't make stuff up. No, he has spoken the truth to us, and he's done so in a beautiful way. And it's for this masterful combination of beauty and truth, that the book gets its second star in this review. And then here's the third star, that the book is sharply and firmly instructive. It is sharply and firmly instructive. Now, the teacher gives us two of his vivid pictures to get this point across to us. The first is of goads. He says, the words of the wise are like goads. Now, as you probably know, a goad is a stick with a sharp point. And a shepherd would use it to prod a sheep which is going astray. It's not comfortable for the sheep, but it is what the sheep needs in that moment in order to stop it from getting lost or getting into danger. And that's what this book of wise words is like, says the teacher. Uh, he's been prodding us with this sharp wisdom. Because we're like sheep who are prone to wander astray, prone to get lost, prone to getting mixed up in foolish thinking and then foolish living. And so from time to time, as we've listened to this book, the teacher has given us this sharp prod. Someone has said that the book of Ecclesiastes is God's cattle prod. That's what this verse is getting at, isn't it? He's been prodding us in order to get us away from foolishness and get us back to the path of wisdom. And at times, it's not been comfortable for us to listen to what the teacher has to say, but it's always been for our good. And in our foolishness, we think that we can find true and lasting satisfaction in the things of this world. And so we try and fill our lives with pleasure, And with comfort and with money and with relationships and we think that these are the things that will be the answer that we're looking for and then the book of Ecclesiastes comes along and prods us sharply tells us to stop being so stupid because all of this is vanity these things might be good in themselves indeed they are gifts from God given for our enjoyment But that is as far as they go. That's what the teacher has been telling us, isn't it? These things, the things of this world cannot save us. They cannot satisfy us ultimately. And instead, they will just come and go like everything else does in this world. And even if we manage to hang on to these things for the entirety of this life, in the end, death will rob these things from us. And you see in this sharply instructive book, The teacher's been prodding away at us, prodding us so that we get away from foolishness, get us to realize that true fulfillment can never be found in the things that are under the sun. And as well as being sharply instructive, the book is also firmly instructive. So to use the the teacher's picture, like nails firmly fixed. As you would probably guess, I'm not the best person when it comes to DIY. If I try and fasten something to the wall, it often ends up being a fairly temporary arrangement, unfortunately. When I try and put shelves up, they, they have a very short shelf life, if you know what I mean. The teacher is, is thinking here about someone with much better DIY skills than I have. And he says their nails are firmly fixed. That is, they're driven all the way home. They hold things absolutely secure. His book's like that. He doesn't leave the job half finished. He doesn't skirt around issues. He he doesn't give us loose, impractical teaching. He doesn't leave his thoughts just dangling, unapplied, as if this is just something interesting for you to think about for half an hour and then to walk out the door unchanged. No, he doesn't let us off the hook that easily, does he? He drives his teaching all the way home right into the depths of the human heart. He shows how it applies to us personally, how it applies to the way that we're living our lives. And I hope that you've felt this as we've listened to what the teacher has to say in his book over these past few months. It is a book that gives you a sharp and a firm prod, turning you away from foolishness, bringing you back to the path of wisdom. And then fourthly, here's the, the fourth star in this review, and that is that this book is divinely given. Now, we've seen already, haven't we, that this book is authentically human. That's how we described it earlier on. It's a, a book which, we're told, is written by a real person who is grappling with real life as he weighs and studies and arranges his material with great care. This is authentically human literature. And yet at the same time, the book is also divinely given. And the wisdom that it contains is divine wisdom. That's what the teacher is getting us to understand in the end of verse 11. These words are given by one shepherd. The one shepherd is, of course, God himself. It was God who gave the teacher the wisdom with which he wrote this book. It was God who superintended over and above the teacher's weighing and studying and arranging of all of these things. It was God who guided the teacher as he was seeking to find words of delight and words of truth. It was God who gave the teacher the words which would be like goads and like nails firmly fixed. It's all given by God. And yet it's given by God in such a way that that giving of God never obscures nor contradicts the fact that this this is still an authentically human book as well. This is what we mean by the, the Bible being an inspired book. The Apostle Peter perhaps sums it up best of all when he says that men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Notice how in that little statement, Peter oscillates between the human and the divine at work in the production of of Scripture. He says, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see the, the connection of these two thoughts, don't you? This is authentically human, but it's at the same time divinely given. And it was the Holy Spirit who carried the teacher along as he wrote this book. These things were given to him by the one shepherd. And of course, this is the best reason of all to read this book and to pay heed to everything that we've learned from it, simply because it is the word of God. It is divinely given. And then here's the fifth and the final star in this five-star review, and that is that this book is sufficient. It's sufficient. That's the, the point in verse 12. My son, beware of anything beyond these Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. What that means is this, beware of thinking that when you've got to the end of what is revealed to us in biblical wisdom, that you then need to continue searching elsewhere to really find the answer to what life is all about thinking that you need to maybe explore a few more philosophies or you need to immerse yourself in a few more worldviews or you need to investigate a few more religions and read some books that are going to give you alternative answers to life's (coughs) biggest questions. And that you need to hold off from believing and obeying what Scripture says until you've shopped around a little bit more. And trying to do that is utterly pointless says the teacher. Firstly, there's no end of it. He says, you can never read all the books that have been written. There'll always be something else out there for you to look into. You can waste your life trying to read every self-help book that shoots to the top of the New York Times bestseller list. And the majority of it will be utter garbage anyway. And you'll be wearied by all of that. And you don't need to do it, says the teacher, because what you have in front of you this morning is sufficient, This is all you need. The wisdom you find in this book of Ecclesiastes is, as we have seen already, authentically human. It's beautiful. It's true. It's sharply and firmly instructive. And it's divinely given. Why would you need to look anywhere else, looking for alternative viewpoints on life? What you have here is sufficient. And the teacher gives himself, therefore, this five-star review and i'm sure you've noticed this already but what he says about his own book is is true of the whole bible as well really what he's describing to us here is is really the doctrine of scripture only applied specifically to one book of scripture ecclesiastes because all of scripture of course is authentically human beautiful true sharply and firmly instructive divinely given and sufficient. And all that remains now is for the teacher to give us his conclusion. In some ways, it's strange, isn't it, that the review of the book comes before the conclusion of the book. But surely the, the teacher has put it this way around because he wants the conclusion to be what is ringing in our ears as we close his book. What is his conclusion? Well, As we've worked our way through the book, we've explored so many different areas of life with the teacher, haven't we? We've seen how in every area, life under the sun is marked with this reality of vanity. That is, things come and go. Nothing really lasts, but nothing's really new either. And the things of this world always fail in the end to give us true, lasting satisfaction and fulfillment. And death casts its dark shadow over everything in this life. So what's the conclusion? What is the answer then? Well, the teacher says the answer is very, very simple. He says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. And that's it, that's the conclusion. That's it in a nutshell. This is the answer of how life under the sun here on earth, in this fallen creation, ought to be lived. Fear God and keep his commandments. Now, what does it mean to fear God? In his commentary, David Gibson says it it is to regard God with all the adoration, love, and obedience that rightfully belongs to him. Someone else has written, the fear of the Lord is that affectionate reverence By which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. As the book of Proverbs puts it, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it always results in keeping the Lord's commandments, living in obedience to what he has said to us. And you know that the only way to fear the Lord rightly is through coming to trust In Jesus Christ, it's only through faith in Jesus that we can regard God with the adoration and the love and the obedience that rightfully belongs to him. And do you need all of the answers to all of life's most perplexing questions? Why this happened and and why that happened and when this other thing might happen? And the teacher says, no, you don't need all of those answers. What you need simply is to fear the Lord and then to keep his commandments. And the book closes with this incentive for us to do so. He says, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And throughout the book, the, the teacher has reminded us on a few occasions, hasn't he, that however hard we try and however wise we might be, we simply cannot straighten out this broken world. It's beyond us to do that. Do you remember how he told us that right back in chapter one? What is crooked cannot be made straight. Be as wise as you like, be as godly as you like, and you will never fix this broken world. You will never fix the brokenness in your life either. Fixing this world is beyond us. We can't do that. And yet the book finishes by assuring us that one day God will. One day God will. He will bring everything into judgment. He will do so by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he's given assurance by raising him from the dead. And it's only in that judgment that vanity will be eradicated From this creation. All frustrations gone. All injustice overturned. Every wrong put right. Every sin justly punished. Righteousness graciously rewarded. And death swallowed up forever. And so long as we wait for that day. This is all we're to do. Fear God. I'd keep his commandments. That's all from Ecclesiastes. I'd give it five stars as well. Let's pray together. Father, what a blessing it has been for us to listen to what the teacher says to us in this book of Ecclesiastes. There is no other book quite like it. And so we give you our thanks for it, that it is a book that is authentically human it's written by a real person grappling with real life and it's beautiful and it's true and it's sharply and firmly instructive for us and it's a book that is given by you the one shepherd and we thank you that your word is sufficient it is all that we need to know for faith and life And we pray that you would help each one of us here this morning to respond to this book rightly, simply by fearing you and obeying your commandments. And we look ahead to the day when Jesus returns as judge and all the vanity is banished from this world and we will be with the Lord forever. In his name we ask these things. Amen.